Um, this Wednesday, we have a special speaker coming. Um, it's kind of a last-minute deal. We didn't know she was going to be here. Um, uh, she is a missionary, along with her husband, over in Nairobi. Lives in Nairobi, but she works in Sudan. They have a, a Bible college there, Calvary Chapel Bible College in the Sudan. And she's back because her visa got messed up, so she's waiting for that to get. So she's going on a kind of a tour, and, I, and uh, she asked uh, David, who they met, uh, and, and David said, yeah, I'll ask. And I said, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have her come share. So this Wednesday, she's going to come share with us about their ministry um, and what they do there and, and all. And so I just wanted to let you know that was going to be taking place. So, um, and uh, that'll be good. That'll be exciting to have someone come in and share a little bit about what's going on in uh, the church plants and all that that's going on over there uh, in Africa. So um, you can join us for that this Wednesday. That's at seven, if you didn't know. All right. Uh, to, today, after second service, I believe we have two baptisms, just so you know. I know a lot of you are just going to head home and all that, but I just wanted you to be aware of that. They may change their mind based off of the weather. I don't know, because they're kids. Um, they're a couple little kids, and we don't want to you know, freeze them out. It doesn't have to be a miserable experience for them. So I told them, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday is going to be sunny. You, know, you could do it then, but uh, I think they're going to stick with today. But anyway, that, that may or may not happen, so that probably does you no good at all. So I'm glad I shared all that with you. Okay. Yeah, you bet. Chapter 15 of Joshua. Now we're going to cover several chapters today. We're going to go 15 through 19. We're not going to read them all. Most of these, 90% of the reading today would have been, and I'm going to let you read it on your own, just letting you know, um, would have been names, dates, and places, just so uh, they have an understanding of where these locations are for the tribes of Israel. There are two sections, though, that I do want to hit on. So I'm going to go over the whole thing briefly, and then we're going to go back and hit those two sections, okay, that I think are uh, that God really spoke to my heart, really good um, stuff, that, uh, little, little nuggets that if you didn't read through it because you thought it was all names and dates and stuff and just decided to skip it, you'd miss these two really special things that God is trying to get across to us uh, by his Holy Spirit through Joshua. All right, so chapter 15 mainly talks about the division of the land, the land of Judah and so on, uh, and, and how, how they're... Uh, where their boundaries are, the valleys, the mountains, everything they have. And the section we're going to come back to in this chapter is verses 13 through 19, FYI, just so you know. We're coming back to that and spending a lot of time on that. Um, the remainder of it uh, is, again, more dates and names until we get to verse 63. So let me read that to you. As for the Jebusites, as they were giving up this land and conquering this land, so they divide up the land, told each tribe to go into that area that they had surveyed and conquer it, Okay, that's the idea, and this is, you know, Judah. As for the Jebusites, that inha the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Israel, or with the children of Judah, at Israel to this day. So Jerusalem never really gets conquered. It's always been a stronghold that couldn't get conquered, and there's, there's, a, there's a reason for that, and the, re the reason is they had dug a sh they would besiege the city to try to take it over, and eventually they'd run out of food and water until they give up, and then they kind of let everybody in, and they s subjugate themselves to those who are besieging them. That's the idea. But these folks, these Jebusites, had dug a, a, a well all the way down through all the bedrock, through all the rock, down to the, the wellspring, and they, from that spring, they were able to survive the siege, and they finally just gave up and said, we're, you can keep Jerusalem, we're tired of waiting out here for you to dry up, you know, because they weren't ever going to dry up. Okay, so that's, a, that's the story. We'll come back to that, though. It kind of goes along with 13 through 19 of that same chapter. Ver, uh, chapter 16 is Ephraim and West Manasseh. They get divided up. 
Manasseh is the only tribe that gets some land on both sides of the river. If you didn't know that, you can look at the map in your Bible that shows the divisions. Manasseh actually has a section on the east side of the Jordan River where they decided to settle because it was good enough, but they also get a second set of land, a second parcel of land on the west side. Um, also, they're the only tribe that gets that. And you can see how they describe that here in this chapter 16. Chapter 17, the other half-tribe of Manasseh, that's the description again of what they're going to do. The daughters, this is a long time ago we covered this, but remember they said, now wait a minute, what if my dad doesn't have any sons? Because it was kind of a deal where if you had a son, you passed the land on to him. What if he doesn't have any sons and he just has daughters? Do we just lose our inheritance? And they decided to change the rules of them and said, well, no, that'd be dumb. You can't do that. We don't want you to shrink. We want every tribe to maintain their land. No, it's never going to shrink. It's never going to expand. But we don't want it just because uh, you had daughters. That, that's, that's not right. That's not right. And they recognized that and they changed the rules so that the daughters could get the land also. Okay? Uh, and so that's, that's what's happening here in chapter, or chapter 17 here. They're, they're describing that. Okay? Now I want to start reading in verse 12 of this same chapter. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. It's a minor issue because this happens a lot. For today's study, it's kind of a minor thing. It's not the major thing, but it's important to note that. They were supposed to drive out all the inhabitants of the land, but they left some Canaanites there because they were determined. And we know this is a spiritual story for us as we come into the promised land of our own lives and we're supposed to conquer. Sometimes there are those Canaanites in our lives, those sins that just won't give it up. They they're, they're seem to be just really dug in well, entrenched in our lives. And it's determined. We have to be more determined is the idea. If you want to drive out the Canaanites in your life, you have to be more determined than the sin itself. And that's not easy. And we're going to describe that as we go back to that chapter 15 that I said we were going to come back to. The Bible tells us how to be more determined. How do you defeat a city that's walled in, that has a well? It seems to just feed itself all the time. There's no way to seeming, seemingly able to defeat this thing. There is a way. And we'll come back to that. But this is another example. The Canaanites later on will be, although they're forced into forced labor, they think that's good. They've got, ca they've got it captive. They've got it chained. It's under their control, they think, later on. It blows up in their face, and they begin to worship other gods like the Canaanites do, and it actually pollutes their whole... It ruins it. it ruins it. They've set themselves up for failure is the idea here with leaving the Canaanites there. The second thing we're going to come back to is this chapter, or verses 14 uh, through 18 here um, in this chapter 17. We'll come back to that, but it describes... Um, this uh, excuses that we have for not conquering land, okay? Chapter 18, now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. So they finally found a place to set up the place of worship. And the land was subdued before them, but there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men of, uh, for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. 
what's taking you guys so long, he says. You've been given the land. Let's survey it. Let's get the boundaries so there's no excuses as to where you're supposed to conquer. But you guys should be conquering by now. You should be at that place. It reminds me of when Paul talks to um, the folks and says, you know, you ought, to, you ought to be teachers by now, but I find you as babes. You're still desiring the milk of the word. And you ought to be chewing by now. You know, it's time to get off the bottle and move on to solid foods and learn how to cut your own meat, basically. And so this is kind of the same situation with Joshua. He's like, what, what's taking you guys so long? How come you can't do this? Why won't you tackle this? Um, this is going to set themselves up for failure also. They've got a lot of reasons why they're not doing it. This, that, or the other thing. And it's always external excuses, always things that have come in the way. When they were all together, when they were all fighting together as a nation of Israel, they, they did it, but they did it off of Joshua's faith. And you're going to see that here when we come back to this section. They did it because Joshua was leading, and they trusted Joshua's faith in God. But when it came to Joshua saying, okay, now you guys, here's your land. Go conquer it for yourselves. They didn't have the same faith as Joshua had. It wasn't as strong. There were reasons they couldn't do it. There were things and obstacles that just, there, there was just no way they could get past it. Whereas Joshua and Caleb both saw none of these things are difficult for God. And it was difficult for them to go on by themselves to do this. And so Joshua calls them on it. How long will you neglect? It's a neglect. They ought to be able to do this. They're called to do this. They've been equipped to do this. They have the same God Joshua did, does. And he doesn't, he doesn't let them get by with that. Well, I know, you're just not as great as I am. He never says anything like that. He says, wait, we have the same God. And I couldn't have done anything, any of this without God either. So what's your excuse for not going through this and conquering the land which God has given you? What's your reasoning behind that? So he kind of calls them out on that. Don't neglect it. Get on with it. Then we finish up with the description of the land here in chapter 18. Chapter 18, verse 11 says, Benjamin came up, and that's the first section of land. Chapter 19, we got the second lot of land. It's Simeon's land, and he describes that. Chapter, or verse 10 of chapter 19, the third lot came to Zebulun. That's the other tribe of Israel, and he's going to go through all these tribes. The fourth lot, verse 17, is Issachar. The fifth lot is Asher. The sixth lot is Naphtali. And the seventh is Dan. And describes that. And finally, at the very end, we get Joshua's inheritance. Joshua's inheritance. He just gets this little parcel of land, cut out a couple cities and everything for him. Okay, and that's where we, uh, that's the whole section. That's the coverage today. Okay, now let's get back. I want to go to uh, verse seven, chapter 17, verse 14. This is where we're going to spend some time. It says this in verse 14, the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit since we are a great people and as much as the Lord has blessed us until now? Their complaint is, we don't have enough territory. We're a pretty awesome group of guys. You know? They're a little prideful, a little arrogant. And so Joshua's going to call them on that. He says, so Joshua answered them and said, if you are a great people, remember these are brothers talking to each other. You know how it is. If you are great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the uh, Perizzites uh, and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. A little bit of sarcasm there. Well, if that's not big enough for you, why don't you go take care of those giants up there? That's all yours. Nobody wants to go there. Go cut down the trees and take care of the giants. You know, you could see them. Here's their excuse. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both of those who are of Beth Shean and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. Really? 
chariots. You remember last week how the iron chariots were nothing. And God defeated all those nations, all those kings that came up against him. And that, remember that northern, that northern push? And they said, oh, they came with the iron chariots. He says, when you're done defeating them after I beat them for you, I want you to burn those chariots. Remember the story? Because I don't want you to ever rely on man's equipment to do God's work. I want you to trust in me and me alone. So don't take their things as spoil. Those chariots don't help you at all, didn't help them at all. And I want you to remember that by lighting a match to them. So what's these guys' excuse for not conquering? They've got iron chariots. Now why, why can't they win? It's the same God. They're, they start off with boasting. We're a great people. You're not that great. You didn't defeat the people you're supposed to defeat already. See, the problem was, we've got this great territory. That's a tough part to get. and it's just, We just can't get that. So they look elsewhere. Instead of conquering the land that God gave them, they just want someone to give them more land. This is too hard. This is too hard. I want something more. And so they're asking God for more. And Joshua says, why don't you just conquer the land that we gave you, that God gave you, that section that was surveyed just for you. Just conquer it. Take it. Well, yeah, but they're big. And here come the excuses as to why. So in other words, we just want low-hanging fruit. We want the easy stuff. We don't want to work for it. We don't want to increase our faith. That has a lot to do with my prayer life, to be honest with you. I see tough things, I see them, and I see them as closed doors. That's, that's the word I use as a Christian when I come up against something that's hard. That's a closed door. And it may be, yeah, well, it may be a closed door. I don't want to discount that fact. There are closed doors in our lives. But I have to take Paul's advice. He banged his head against that door several times before he realized, okay, this ain't opening. But he persevered in prayer and he did everything he could in his power. In other words, he trusted in God's power to get that door opened for effective ministry. It took him five times to get to Asia. Five different times he tries to get over there. That's a persistent guy who trusted in God, but understand it's a closed door finally, and he moved on, and God eventually got him there through that door, but it wasn't until much later. I want to keep that in mind when I come up with that first uh, resistance to what God's called me to do. Oh, it's a closed door. Well, wait a minute. How much time did I spend in prayer? How much effort did I put into it? How much uh, did I... Did I uh, did I anguish over it in prayer? Is it something that I lamented over? Is it something that I you know, begged God for and pleaded and prayed and worked on and checked my own heart to see if there was anything in me that would prevent this from taking place? Or was it like AI, where you come up, you get defeated, and you go off and you stomp off and you complain to God, well, how come you didn't defeat AI? Get up, Joshua, you've got sin in the camp. Oh, see, I need those moments. God's given us everything. He's given us an inheritance. Every one of us in this room as Christians, we have an inheritance he's given us. He's given us severes of influence that we're there to conquer. Every one of us. None of us is here just to be saved. He's given us, and this is going to go along with the second section where we're going to spend time on. Every one of us has been called to conquer the area where he's planted us, where he's put us. We're there for a reason. And it ain't for us to have a happy, easy, peaceful life. It's there for battle. We're there for war. We're there to conquer. We are in enemy territory. The God of this world is Satan. He tells us that in his word. And yet here we are as ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven, and he plants us all over the place, and some of us don't know why. Why in the world am I sitting here? Why am I in the world planted here? Because I want you to produce. I want you to conquer. I want you to sit there and exude living water. And we're going to get to that in a second. 
I want you to just start making this place green. Sure, it's dry ground. Sure, it's hard ground. But if you plant yourself there and you do what you're supposed to do and rivers of living water come out of you, it's going to turn green. You just got to let that come out of you. But you stop up that well. You come up with excuses. I just don't see how this is just an arid desert. And you go inward and you protect yourself. It's my little oasis. Just, just trying to stay alive here in the middle of this place instead of letting it go out. We actually defeat ourselves. So that's their excuses, but... Joshua won't have any of it. Why don't you go do it? So, verse 17, And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh. That's what he means by that. Remember, Joseph's house was divided up into his two sons. He got a double blessing. Ephraim and Manasseh are his boys. Saying, You are a great people and have great power. That's what he adds to that. I agree with you now. I was being sarcastic before, because you're talking about how great you are, but you can't conquer the land God already gave you. But I do agree with you. You are great people, but you're great people with great power. Don't forget that. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. He encourages them. That's an excuse. And I understand that's what, and that's, he wanted that to come out of them. Why don't you take the land you've already conquered? Because they've got iron chariots. Okay, now let's revisit this. You are strong. But you've also got great power. You have the power of God on your side. You will drive out the Canaanites. Not you might or you should try harder. It's a fact as far as Joshua is concerned. And that's how Joshua lived his life. That's how Caleb lived his life. It's a foregone conclusion. No, they haven't been driven out, but God has driven them out. I just simply need to walk through it. I just need to go do it. And that's what he tells them there. No, the mountains are going to be big enough for you. Imagine that. It's all cleared out and there you are in the mountains. Everybody wants the high ground. That's the easiest place to defend is the high ground. That's what you want. I'm giving you the mountains. Cut it down. Drive out the Canaanites, even though they have iron chariots and are strong. You're stronger. Sometimes you just need to hear that. Sometimes we forget. We get beat down on this world, and that's why I think Sundays are so important, because Mondays are coming, right? And you remember last Monday. You were on cloud nine, and you got down into the trenches, and all of a sudden, here comes the world. Boom, boom, just nailing you. And you had your shields up for a while, but maybe about Wednesday, you're like, okay, I'm done. You know, and you get in that corner and that's all you're doing is just taking the blows because you don't want to get hit in the face anymore. And that's when you come into this and you come into Sunday morning, you're all beat down and you're kind of like, oh man, what a week. This is a horrible week. And God says, how come it was horrible? Man, they had iron chariots. Iron chariots. And they're big. You know, they're a lot bigger than I thought they were. And God says, they are big. They are. They're just Canaanites, though. And you're a lot stronger than you are. And you're a mighty nation. You can do this because you have God. And so he encourages them in that. Now, the second section that kind of ties along with that that I promise we go back to is chapter 15, verses 13 through 19. Love this. I've always read this, and it's just kind of a blip, you know? Let's read it and see if you can see where the blip turns into a, I don't know, a boom. Now, to Caleb, the son... Uh, the son of uh, Jephaniah, or Jephaneh, I think, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Remember, that's the place he wanted, Caleb showed up at the, as that old guy, you know? 
He says, give me that land. You know, we kind of pictured Popeye with all hairy. And, okay, never mind. That's last week. You can get the CD for that. He came up. He said, I want to take this land. I'm as strong as I was the day I went in here the first time. So Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak. And those are the giants. Uh, Shishai, uh, Sh- yeah, that guy, Shishai, uh, Hyman, and Talamai, the children of Anak. He drove those guys out. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of uh, Debir. Formerly, the name of Debir was Kirjath Sapphire. Now, that doesn't mean much to us, but for someone who's a, of an Israel descent, reading that recently, they like, oh, that's what he's talking about. And they can picture that in their mind. That's there, this is here. So he kind of ties it together, you know. Um, we do that around here a lot. You guys do that. Well, that's where Bob used to live. But this is, you know, this is Jones. Oh, yeah, Bob. I remember Bob. I didn't know who bought the house. And that's how you guys find directions around here. Um, I remember the first time I came here, I stopped at Casey's, North Casey's. I was like, I, I just need to get back to Tarkio. I, I, long story, I come from Caleb, or not Caleb, uh, sorry, uh, Clorinda Bible study, and I had missed my turn to Burlington Junction. I didn't know where I was, you know, and you guys are like, really? You're that, yeah, is that bad? No GPS, no, no, I'm just driving at night from there, and I, I passed it, and I, I end up in Maryville. You guys know that's how we started this church? Had no intention of starting a church in Maryville, living in Tarkio, went past there by mistake, missed my turnoff, came in around, I said, oh, it says 46, you know, so I stop at that Casey's in Maryville, and I ask, how do I get to Tarkio? And they're like, really? And so they tell me, well, you got to go down there to that thing over there, and over there, I'm like, I just need street names addresses, you know? I don't want to know where the old oak tree was or where the cow path used to be. I, I need to know, give me a street name. Take First Street. Okay, thank you. And that turns into 46, and that'll take you over to Fairfax, up and over, or you can go this way, the back of the way you came. I said, no, I don't want to go back the way I came. So I come through town, and as I'm coming through town, there's all these college students. I mean, it was like I'd never seen before since. And they were all going in groups from bar to bar to bar and all these things. And there's just this huge party atmosphere. And there were drunks, you know, walking across with their red cups and everything. I'm going, oh, God, this pe- these people, they need you, Jesus. You know, and I just kept on driving. I couldn't get them out of my mind since, ever since. Okay. That was to tell you that that's why he says those two names. He tries to give them better directions than the directions I got when I came through Maryville the first time. Okay. Uh, back to the Bible study, sorry. Verse 16. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirjath Sephir and, and takes it, to him I will give uh, Ekasa, I don't know, it's probably much prettier than that, my daughter as wife. That was her name, whatever her name was. I'm going to give you my daughter. Now, it's not one of those things where, you know, choose like a cow, piece, a cow or something. You, know, you, get, you get two cows and my daughter. It's not like that. It was kind of a noble thing for her. I'm not going to give you over some wimp. I'm going to give you someone who's a leader, someone who's willing to sacrifice his life for you. Okay, so don't get hung up on that. How come that? How come she didn't get to choose? Well, he's helping by, I'm going to put this test out there and let's see who rises. Let's let the cream rise to the top. So he says, I'm going to give you my daughter. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave him his daughter as a wife. And I skipped her name so I don't butcher it because I'm sure it's a lot prettier than my pronunciation. Now it was so, when she, now this is important, this is the daughter. Now it was so, when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. This is her husband, her new husband. She said, ask him for that field. So she dismounted from her donkey after he did that, after he got the field. And Caleb said to her, what do you wish? She answered, give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land uh, in the south, that's the field that she had her husband ask for. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Wise woman, smart woman. 
The name of the field that's called uh, the land to the south is actually in Hebrew, Eris Henegeb. Strange name, but the word originates in Hebrew. Henegeb means dry. So she got this field, but it's absolutely barren. It's a dry field. It's not good for much. It needs water. She knew that. She got the lamb, but she says, I don't want just the dry parcel. We need some way to water this to make it better, to make it fertile, to make it produce, to make it valuable to us. And so she, after her husband asks for the field and gets it, you want this dry field? Yes, father-in-law, I'd love this dry field. You can have the dry field, I guess. Then the daughter comes in. That's why we have wives, guys, smart ones. They come in and they say, we want the upper and lower springs also. Well, sure, honey, you can have that. Oh, you know, Caleb figures it out. That just made that really nice piece of property there. Yeah, smart, smart woman. Well, there's a lot to that in scripture about springs of water feeding dry and fertile ground. One of the number one uh, devotional books out there, what's it called? Living Water, but Streams in the Desert. Everybody knows, well, you don't, if you don't know it, it is. Excellent, excellent uh, devotional. Streams in the Desert. And, and when you read it, and it's meant for, this is my stream that I'm reading for my desert of my life, and that's fine. But let's expand on that. We're called to be, we have rivers of living water coming out of us as Christians, Okay. Um, there's this dry land, sure, there's a dry land. But with that supply of water to that dry land, it absolutely changes the landscape of the place. Uh, around here, when we had that uh, d- drought earlier in July here, um, and I noticed, and I think everybody would probably notice this anywhere around your house, wherever the gutter drained out, it was nice and green. In fact, if you looked on here, every time it rains, it kind of puddles up maybe about halfway across the parking lot and comes down, and that's all green over there. Wherever the water was generally running, it was great. So we knew it was a water problem, obviously, but wherever it was, it was so obvious that's where the water flows because there's just green paths there, wherever the water was. That's obvious, and it absolutely changed it over here. It would grow. We'd have to just mow that little section in that big area over here, and the rest of it wouldn't grow. There's nothing to it. It needed the water. Same situation here. You've got that dry uh, ground that she had her husband ask for, but she needs the water to water it to make it better, okay? Um, If you turn to Psalm 87.7. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you. uh, Wait a minute. I'm not on 86, sorry, 87, seven. Both the singers and the players on instruments say, all my springs are in you. That's one verse of probably 100 verses that talk about our spring, our water coming from the Lord, and that he's our source. He's the one that brings it to us and gives it to us, and then it spreads out. All my springs are in you, and he wants us to know that. Um, that's what feeds us. That's what keeps us green on the inside. We need those springs. We need that time with Jesus for us to maintain our fruit. We still may have a tree and our leaves may be a little bit withered, but that's because we don't have water. We're not watering ourselves. And we feel like, what's the term we use when we're going through a a tough time in our lives? I'm going through a a dry spell. That's That's a good way to put it. You're absolutely right. You are dry. But what do you do about it? You ask God for the water. You ask God for the springs to flow up. You ask to be watered by God. And you know where that source is. You've got to go to him to get that spring. But it doesn't just stop there. I want to bear fruit and I want my tree to bear fruit and I want to have green grass around me. I want my life to be refreshing 
but it spreads out from there too. It doesn't just stop with us because we get planted in certain spots in this world. And that's what I was getting to earlier. Every one of us is a Christian who's saved, hopefully. And if you're not, hopefully you get saved today. But out of you is supposed to flow rivers of living water. That's the next section. If you turn to John chapter 7, 38. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then chapter 7. It's on the great day of the feast. And they've been pouring out their uh, water jars on the, uh, on the steps of the temple. And this is part of their ceremony. For six days they've done this. And on the seventh day, the, 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 the dry pot is, is thrown out and there's no water. And everybody's supposed to go, oh, there's no water. And that's when Jesus stands up when they pour out that dry water. That says, and he cried out and saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the, scriptures has, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So once you believe on Christ for your salvation, you have him in your heart. Out of you now flows that water. You don't have to get that water from other people or other places. It begins to bubble up within you from Christ. Now we can stop that well up. We can stop that. We can put a brick over the top of it or we can let it flow out of our lives. But either way, that water, its source is Christ in you. Very important. So if you're on a desert island with nothing but a Bible, you'd be fine. I don't have a church. I don't have anybody to encourage me in my faith. There's no discipling classes. You're okay. You've got Christ in you. And all of a sudden, that water will flow out and he'll teach you all things and lead and guide you into all truth. And it'll start to water the ground of your heart, that dry ground. Every one of us is dry when we first get saved. Don't make any mistake about that. When you first get saved, you are dry. And that's why you've come. Christ has made you thirsty by making you dry. Your life is dry. And so you come to Christ because you're thirsty. I need something other than everything else I've tried. I've tried salt. That didn't work. Beef jerky? No. And everything else gave me cotton mouth. Nothing was satisfying to me. Until finally the only thing left you found is Christ. You came to him and all of a sudden you're just refreshed. We sang several songs about that. JC didn't know. But several songs as he prays about the songs we're going to sing and how the set's going to go. Springs, water, everything just came, coming, just came bubbling up. You know, That's the Holy Spirit. Inside of us, the Holy Spirit wants to bubble up. He wants us to be refreshed. He wants us to be a well-watered garden. And he wants that for our own fruit so other people can come by and pick from us. But he also wants that to spread. If you took time, even in your driest state, maybe this is the best time to do it when you're dry, and took a piece of paper and wrote down all the, from the time you got saved, think about all the people that God has touched in your life and how they're no longer dry. Think about the dry sticks of people that came into your life and how all of a sudden they started budding as they came into your presence. And now, it's not an ego boost. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say that you're a great person. If, you know, No, it's because you have Christ and you were at that time anyway willing to let that flow out of you. And people were changed and lives were changed and maybe still are to this day. And maybe they decided to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and now they're planted someplace and they're bubbling up and look at their lives and look how they're green and the area around them is green. It's an amazing impact we have if we just do what God's called us to do and that's just to be wells, to be springs of water. 
I had the privilege of going to Israel one time and visiting and, and seeing that. And they took us to the top where the source of the Jordan River was. Source of the Jordan River are springs. It's not like runoff from mountains or from snow. It's literally just a bunch of springs. And you walk on this path clear back because the Jordan River just gets little, 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 little until it's fine. This little thing up here. And there's little wooden paths like you'd would on a, a I don't know, uh, any kind of public land, you know. And you can walk on the wooden paths so you don't disturb the grass or whatever. And if you go to any public national parks, they'll have those. You just walk on this path and you go clear back. And, you, and, and I went further than I was supposed to because I don't pay attention or obey like I'm supposed to. But anyway, I went clear back further on the dirt path that someone had walked. So I'm the guy that they put the signs up for and I disregarded him. Anyway. But I wanted to see the water bubbling up. I didn't want to see like the trickle. See how small it is? Yeah. But where does it really start? So I went back you know, and I found it. And there it is. It's just a bunch of grass, you know, all bent over and kind of soggy. And there's just, just, just water, just kind of barely bubbling up. You know how a fountain, sometimes it doesn't shoot up. It's just kind of making a, a bubble on top of the water. That's what it was. That's all it was. But it was all over the place, all these little things. And I was like, wow, it's amazing. And if you backed up from space and you took a picture of that, you'd see just this beautiful green strip about three or four miles on either side of the Jordan River all the way down, you see. Guys, make no mistake, God has planted you for a reason where you are. And you are that source. Because Christ is in you, you can't do it without him. There is no water in us without him. But with Christ in you, wherever you're planted, you begin to bubble up that water. And it begins to flow away from you because you can't contain it anymore. It's more than you need. You're good. It begins to flow downstream. And everywhere it goes, about five miles on either side, there's a blessing. There's a green grass that's growing there because... You're staying with Christ because you are a well-watered place. I know you're dry. Sometimes we get dry. How'd you get there? How do you get undry? Just like Psalm 87 told us. Where does my springs come from? Where do all my springs come from? They come from Jesus. See, when I'm dry, my tendency, even as a pastor, you think I'd know better, is to go to the TV Maybe get something on that, uh, you know, that I can binge watch on or something like that and just kind of veg out and tune out kind of thing. And I do that, and I admit it, and I shouldn't. But you get there and you're just like, oh, everybody's in bed, I'm by myself, and I just sit there and watch this. Oh, just kind of mindless. I'm not refreshed. I'm satiated. My flesh gets tired. I finally fall asleep. But I don't feel on fire. I don't feel refreshed. I don't feel watered. It's a polluted well. It's a little bit of water, but it's polluted at best. I don't feel anything from it. But when you have your quiet time, when you don't want to because you're dry and you're tired, you come away from that quiet time. You come away from reading God's word. You come away from a Bible study even, or a, a, a conference, or, or something on the radio, or whatever it is that you read, something that has to do with the Lord, or just worshiping with your voice. You get watered. And it's a different kind of refreshing. Yeah, I was tired after binge washing. I finally got some sleep that I really, really needed. Well, that's all for the flesh. But it's when I got into God's word, it's when I got into worship, or that's when I heard some teaching or something from someplace. That's when I felt watered and thought worthy of bearing fruit. We turn inward when we get dry. And rightly so, we're concerned about our survival. I don't know if I can make it. I feel like I'm gonna blow away here, you know? But the solution is to get watered. And that obedience to doing what God's asked you to do when you're dry by going to the well, his well, and get water and let him spring up from you, 
that obedience produces a blessing for everybody around you. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your coworkers. Everybody's blessed by that. You don't mean to necessarily. I'm sure that spring at the top of the Jordan doesn't think, boy, I hope the Dead Sea finally gets unsalted because that's where it runs into. No, it just does what it does. And the blessing is secondary, actually. To everybody else, it's a blessing. How many people got baptized in the Jordan? You know? It's amazing how often that river, which is nothing without the source, doesn't exist without the source, was such a blessing to so many people. I think you'd be surprised at how many people you bless by being tight with God, close with Jesus yourself. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine and those around you will get saved. It's amazing the effect you guys have, that we have. God's called us to a whole lot more than making money and surviving here and having the best life we can with the, as good a clothes as we can buy, with the nicest car we can afford, with the best house we can make, you know. He's called us to far more than that. That's just our planting. It's the people. It's the people he's put us around that need that water. And I want you to do that maybe. If you get the time, even in your mind, just think it through. Who are some of the people that God has blessed through my life? And you're not being arrogant when you think that way. You're just examining your ministry. How many people have been blessed by my walk with Jesus at work? Sometimes that can be a little convicting too because you know some of them aren't blessed by your presence because they bring out the worst in you maybe and their flesh rises up against them. But that's good to know, isn't it? Maybe you need to change that area so that can be a well-watered place too. But remember that. The whole world's dry. And he's made us all Christians, putting himself in us and then planted us all over this world so that we can bubble up and make it green. That's the idea. They can taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's what we close today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you're in us, um, that we've received you as our Lord and Savior, that we've trusted in you for our salvation, God. Um, and because of that, we are a well-watered garden, but Lord, we don't want to stop there. We want to overflow. So Lord, help us to never stop just because we're okay or we seem to be wet enough. Help us to keep flowing. Flood us, God, that it might spread out from us to our family, from our family to our friends, from our friends to our coworkers from our coworkers and everybody else to strangers, Lord, that they just be blessed by us, a touch. Even if it's a cold glass of water, it's amazing how often this comes up in your word. You're the living water, but you planted yourself in us that we might bubble up and be streams of living water all over the place so that other people can be blessed and taste and see that you are good. So help us to think of more of that, that, that cup of cold water that we give in your name is far more valuable than we know. It's more than us getting a reward in heaven later on. It's for others to see that from the source that we have, you, Jesus, that they can have that same living water. Oh, come and drink, Isaiah 55.1 says in 55.3. Come and drink. And then Revelation 22. Come and drink, all who are thirsty. God, help us to be available for all those that are thirsty in this world. We thank you for these folks. They've made a decision today to come and worship you and draw near to you. And I, God, I pray that you draw, drew near to them. I know your word says that you do. Help them. Water them, Lord. Um, refresh them. And Lord, then overflow us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, come on up. Be glad to pray with you.